Welcome to the 34th meeting of Junto Club. On this episode, Shu stumps us with a Benji quote that has something to do with friends, enemies, life, and death. We talk about how crypto and our government are both trying to fix our roads, or at least Miami's roads. Finally, we dive into the polarization in politics. We learn about how political parties were not a source of human tribalism in recent history, and we discuss how our political system might be able to function better even in the face of this relatively newfound division. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rant on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. Welcome to the 34th episode of the Junto Club on November 6, 2021. So this club is kind of inspired by Benjamin Franklin, who way back in the day organized a group of his friends for kind of to create a club for mutual improvement. So they, you know, discussed things around business, philosophy, politics, science, and the like, and he called it the Junto Club. So we're kind of doing a similar thing where most episodes, one of us will bring in a main topic we sort of read or studied a little bit about. And we'll discuss that with each other, just kind of, you know, have some conversations about it, learn some new stuff. We also bring in miniature topics, and then she likes to bring in quotes that we try to analyze. Uh, yeah, so that's the Junto Club. Shu, all right. as per tradition, kick us off. All right, all right. So today's quote is, uh, quote, "'Tis better leave for an enemy and one's death than beg of a friend." in one's life, end quote, by Benjamin Franklin. Mm. Any thoughts? So, I mean, just, I guess, uh, my immediate thought about it is basically just like, uh, you don't want to, like, change yourself to meet a certain person's like wants of you to be that like like you don't want to like give up yourself to be someone's friend during life uh like it's better to just be you and have an enemy or like a non-friend because you're gonna die and leave them behind anyway i don't know (laughs) Where'd you get um, that from? Like, what, what, what made you think of that? Like, tease. Well, I, so, I mean, so if you have an enemy, right? So it's yeah. better for an enemy uh, or it's better leave for an enemy at one's death. So it, so when you die, if you have an enemy, they're behind you, you're dying, then beg of a friend in one's life. So if you need to, mm. if need to make someone your friend by begging for them to be your friend. That's mm. not a friend at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, at first I was like, where is this he coming from? But I see how you're interpreting now. What about you, man? So you're saying, yeah, so Mike's saying, essentially, it's better to die with enemies than, like, beg for friends. Mm. Yes. So yeah. It's better not, to have... Have enemies when you die, and to beg of to to beg for friends during one's life. 
So that's definitely not how I read it, although I can kind of see. But so, I mean, Mm -hmm. so the second statement, beg of a friend in one's life. So beg of a friend. To me, that was just meant like begging a friend for something. Or Mm. that's how I interpreted it, right? Okay, yeah. So basically saying like begging your friends for stuff is bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, so bad that it's better to leave for an enemy at one's death. Leave for an enemy. To me, that doesn't seem like leaving an enemy behind, but like leaving to go see an enemy. Like th- this is the way I read it first is, yeah, it's better to say, you know, you're going to die. So you go find your enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even that's better than begging of your friends. But I don't see how those are related exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. could it be like, it's better leave for an for- enemy. So I, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know. Like if you owe. What? What does leave for an enemy mean? I assumed, so yeah, tis better leave for an enemy at one's death. I interpret that in, directly as literally going to like leave your place where you are to go like find your enemy. Like I imagine like you have your life's rival, right? And you realize you're about to die. So then you're just like, fuck this. I'm going to go find this guy. And I don't know, either you make up or you kill him or whatever you're going to do if you're life's enemy, you know, when you realize you're about to die. <laughs> That's the impression I got. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got two hard ones. This one's yeah, new one's kind of hard. Yeah, All <laughs> right. oh, it, it is hard. So, it, so okay. So you're le- so when you die, I, I see where you're, Matt's saying. So you leave for an enemy when you die. So you're going to, you know, you're going to hell to see the guy you dueled with. And, Maybe. Uh, Maybe it's to find an enemy. Like, you don't have one. Leave for an enemy. Maybe someone's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to just, like, sit on the bed to die, waiting to die, right? So mm-hmm. they're like, I'm going to just go find someone to, like, fight, and, you know, he'll kill me or something. Because there's, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's there's stuff like that in the past. Just like, feel like stories or examples from history where people are like, I'd rather, like, die in battle than just, like, wait to waste away on a bed. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe the opposite is, you know, begging up a friend is like, you know, I guess creating a really big burden on your friends to try to like stay alive, right? Mm. So, you know, I don't know. Well, or maybe not even stay alive, but just like, so I guess uh, like to give you purpose, right? So, yeah, all right, here's how I'm going to interpret this. And, you know, it's a stretch, but I'm going to say, I think Benjamin Franklin here is saying it's better to have a noble death than a uh, shameful life. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. I'll go with it. Yeah, mm. I don't know if it's right, but it at least sounds nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. And he's, I'm not the only one that's confused about this, what he's trying to say. Yeah, that one's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Maybe if someone would know, they can send us an email and say, hey, this is what you actually means. <laughs> one day, uh, you know, someone who did their PhD on Ben Franklin will call in and be like, I've listened to your podcast and you got everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> As usual. <laughs> and I'll be like, you got your life wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because they, they listen to us? If, well, one reason among many, sure. No. Um, 
No, I, I was joking. Did a PhD about Benjamin Franklin. Oh, you're talking about PhD yeah. and then Benjamin Franklin. Uh, yeah. PhD, yeah, I got yeah. you. All right. Um, do, 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 do. Actually, talking about PhD, it reminds me of lawyers, right? Lawyers, I just recently just heard lawyers when they say something called, like, was Doctor of Justice, like JD. Yeah, Juris Doctor or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in the beginning, actually, there's no such thing as just JD. They were just like, you know, two years school, right? Um, all, very similar to like technical school, very similar to like college level, where right? instead of going to going to like get a degree in like electrical engineering or something, you just go be, get a lawyer degree, right? Then they realize that the whole uh, like bar, the system, the, 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 the lawyer association or something, they try to say, they want to rebrand themselves, right? They say, okay, this People are going to school for like, like, I don't know, people getting like MBAs on the other like, doc, like medical doctor, right? It has more, pre- more like prestige. Prestige, exactly. And they say, oh, why don't we just do the same thing, right? So call it JD. So they just reinvent this JD thing. So yeah. So anyway, it's rebranding. Talk about, talk yeah. about that success. And that doesn't just get prestige, right? The more yeah. barriers to entry they create in general, the higher salary they'll be able to command, right? Because there's less yeah. competition because there's less mm-hmm. lawyers. Yeah. Well done, exactly. old lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this is just when you talk about PhD, remind me of that. So. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some topics since I'm running the show today. First things first. Okay. First thing, first thing. Are you ready for tomorrow? Is it the marathon? Yeah. No, I'm not ready for it tomorrow. I don't the know. New York City guess, Marathon. You are in New York City. I guess I need to look up where it's going, like its path. It's five see. boroughs, right? So you go through the whole like, Central Park. You know, you start from Staten Island and then go through Bronx on the five boroughs, like Staten Island, Bronx, and then Brooklyn. How do they run know? from Staten Island? Is, is, oh, Staten Island to Bronx? Is there a bridge from Staten Island? To yeah, there's a bridge. Yeah. Well, not to Bronx, to... Uh, I don't know. Let me see. So I guess I thought you could only get to, I mean, yeah, I'm going to give away that I don't know New York City that well yet, but I thought you could only get to Staten Island by ferry. No, you can go by bus or ferry, I think. But yeah, no, last time I, when I, when I was running, we have to, so we take the ferry to the Staten Island and we run from Staten Island to Bronx to and Holland. Brooklyn, all the other... To Brooklyn, by the way. Yeah, to Brooklyn, yeah. Bronx is <laughs> very different. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't I don't know my geography. So but yeah, somewhere you cross the bridge is New York City. So anyway, including yeah, yeah. okay, I see it. I see it. Okay, you could do it. You could do it. So yeah, either go outside to see the see the running or just don't go and go don't go to any restaurant or anything. So it be <laughs> might be hard for you to get into the city. I just gotta hunt I just gotta see the route and know how to avoid it. Yeah. I mean maps in the city, so <laughs> Unless he's just gonna like stay inside. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be fair, that's not unheard of for me. But <laughs> anyway, you see a lot of people, spectators, stuff like that. It's not too bad. Uh, yeah, because it it only has a, it only kind of cuts through like half of Manhattan. 
Um, mm-hmm. So there's, I could get to most stuff without even crossing, like even without having to change my path, I could get to most of Manhattan without ever crossing. Yeah, because you are in a city already. But a lot of people, you yeah. can try to go in from other boroughs, then you're gonna be paying ass probably. Yeah, that's probably true. All right. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Thanks for the <laughs> hot tip. All right. Yeah. Well, just uh, very tangentially related, uh, annoying big events. Uh, did you go to the Braves parade show? No, I, I flew in last night, so I didn't go to uh, the parade. Did you? I, I got stuck in traffic when I was on my way to CrossFit, but I, oh, I, nice. I didn't actually, I, I didn't actually go. So. Oh yeah, we need to, we need to celebrate that, right? Braves. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was actually thinking of going to a game, um, but the tickets were outrageous. So, oh, how much? Uh, thirteen hundred a seat. Oh, and that's nothing for you, like dropping a bucket. Oh yeah, well, I, I just couldn't justify over a thousand dollars for a team that wasn't my team. So, <laughs> gotcha. I, I was happy for Atlanta though. So, mm-hmm. wow, yeah, so. yeah, You're slowly becoming an Atlanta. What would what do you call people from Atlanta? I don't know, Atlanteans? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Atlantan? No. I mean, I, I have know. no love or hate for the Atlanta sports teams. So, but Yeah, that's, that's the weird thing about Atlanta sports teams. Like, a lot of people like, living in Atlanta, they don't really care about Atlanta teams. Like, you do get some teams, people are not very like, uh, like, passionate about it, but not and it's when compared to other cities like Boston or you know the other uh, cities, just not very as diehard as uh, as other cities, I guess. I think I, I I have some theories on that. I think yeah. one of the big things is weather. <laughs> weather. So, yes, like I think colder cities are more fanatical about sports. So, cause, I mean, cause it's like in Boston, like the weather is, it's like, Hey, I don't want to go outside for four months a year, at least like at mm-hmm. least four months a year. And it's like, okay, so I'm going to be like really into, you know, the Celtics or whatever is on. During okay. the, so I mean, it's one, one theory that I have. I, and of course it helps if you have good teams. Like, mm. so that's another thing is New York and Boston have historically had at least one good team. I mean, in the late eighties and nineties, Boston didn't have good teams, but for, mm. uh, they at least had one good team basically in all other eras. So and New York yeah. has always had the Yankees and I will say Atlanta, not like the Braves winning. I saw more people posting about Atlanta sports, like on social media, like this past year than like, you know, basically mm. ever before. And and you also have the like the Atlanta United who mm. are uh like they won a championship like yeah. a couple of years. It's like to break the curse. So gotcha. So, so people people just people just want to be associated with uh winners basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's association with winners and if your city doesn't have much else to offer. So mm. <laughs> at Boston. Like Boston shots at his hometown. Yeah. Well, I mean it's a, I mean Boston's a great city, but it's like in the winter it's I I can't stand it. So, oh, speaking of Boston, do you guys hear about the new mayor? Oh, oh yes, it's uh, yeah, first ever Asian Mich- woman. Yeah, Michelle Wu. Like, not not first. Yeah, first ever Asian woman. Also, I think historically Boston has like almost two hundred years of just white male mayors, right, or something like that. Mm, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Michelle Wu, she, she, she just won, uh, so he's like kind of historic a little bit, yeah. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything I didn't hear. I didn't even realize there was a new mayoral race in Boston. I mean, yeah, I in New York think... City too. Now, oh, I, well, I heard yeah. about New York City. I Atlanta heard a couple of days ago too. I heard, a, I heard about Eric, Eric Adams winning in New York. But, yeah. yeah. Are you excited, well, Mike? You know, he he had won once he won the primary, right? Like the right. the re-election is what is it? You know, just kind of a for theater for show, like. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know what excited about after he won the election? Though. Eric he Adams. said he's gonna take. He he said he's gonna take first three months of his salary in Bitcoin. Did he? Oh, wow. Eric <laughs> Adams? No, let me see this. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Wait a minute. How much is he making a month? <laughs> New York's next mayor wants to be paid in Bitcoin. Holy shit. I mean, New York City has been very good with finance, right? So he wants to be, he wants New York City to be a crypto city as well with the new, uh, there's a lot of money putting into crypto technology and stuff like that. So yeah. I mean, I'm all for it, but but he's not a first. I would say he's not not a first person to do that. He's actually, I think he was kind of inspired by uh, Miami's uh, mayor. Mm-hmm. He Miami's mayor, I think he was the first person to. I think to. I think he did say something like that. But anyway, but have you guys heard of Miami Coin? Not until this. No. no. Did you read that? Nothing I posted. I yeah, just like scanned it. So, mm-hmm. so but you should explain it. So basically, yeah. So it's basically Miami coin is a coin that you can buy almost like to invest in the city. Like if you you can buy the token and then the money, I think thirty percent or maybe maybe more, like thirty or forty percent of the the proceeds like uh, goes to the city, right? So actually, whenever you buy, maybe Find a Miami coin at hundred dollars, maybe third, uh, maybe thirty dollar, forty dollar of them go to the Miami city, so they can use it for I don't know in infrastructure or something like that. And a lot of people, people are saying, oh, this is maybe could be a new way to fund the government, right? Instead of like oh having like getting tax from other like different people or to tax the rich or something, you can have people actually try to invest and. Have some skin skin the game as well, right? To want a city to do well, so this could be a new way of funding government, basically, right? So, so but I, I guess I'm confused. So you yeah. spend a hundred U.S. dollars on you know whatever a hundred Miami yeah. coins, mm-hmm. and then thirty of that, like, so who is taking that hundred dollars and giving thirty to the city? So Miami <laughs> coins made by a company called so. It's a company. It's a company, a startup called City Coins, right? City Coin basically maintain made all this stuff in the beginning, right? To mean these coins, and then they're gonna try to do it for one city and different city. So I think next one could be San Francisco or could be New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Since you know the new mayor Eric Allen is very friendly to crypto, so New York City could be the next one. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, they are making that. But I don't know how. What they're gonna do with the rest of seventy percent? Seventy percent. I mean, the value. I guess the value of your token are still in there, right? Can can be uh, 
baby basically is backed by your asset, right? So the, the value of this token is still there. So you can trade those tokens. So eventually, maybe the value will go up, right? So, yeah. Okay. So yeah. essentially, there's like, you buy 100, you know, 100 Miami coins for $100. They give the city $30. They keep the 70 as a meet, like to back the value. And yeah. the hope is that basically your 100 like you're just hoping your hundred coins will rise in value. So potentially, I mean, a lot of people, maybe some people buy it as a speculation, but some people are always like, oh, I want to support <laughs> a city, right? So, and then just the token can stay there, right? So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you support the city by giving 70% of your money to a, a random company. company. <laughs> Not really yeah. a random company, right? You, you, you own a coin, right? You still have the token. You can sell it later, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone people want willing to buy it, of course it's like a lot of stuff. You might say, "Oh, it could be sketchy, right?" But he's just saying that it could be a new way of if it's done. It is it, done right, right? It could be a new way to fund a company. I mean, fund a government, right? You see, I'm like, "Oh, getting all the senators to come together to pass a bill or something," you know. And it's very slow. You can just, you know. Yes. Well, invest in a gun, invest in a, in your city, basically. But I, well, okay, well, I guess, but because right now, right now, there's no direct way for personally. If I want to invest in Atlanta, and there's not really a direct way I can really do it, and this could be potentially a way that. Right? Uh, okay, but I guess my okay. So is that okay? I invest a hundred dollars. Thirty goes to the city. Um, like. How was that thirty going to the city? Can you like is the company going to fix potholes or is the like are they handing that money? Like how does that work? No, 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 no. I think the, the, the company is just the, it just hands like the, the money to the city and the city can do whatever they want with it. That sounds just like taxes. <laughs> exactly, it's a new way of taxing, but it's, in a way, that actually you are giving your money like you you want to do it, right? You want to like donation or something, but you can see. But potentially, you can also if the if the if, but there's a potential upside for people holding the token as well. If the city is doing really well, right? So there's a incentive as well. Anyway, just an interesting new way of doing it. But right. might not turn out good. But anyway, it's any some you know there's a new thing you can try. <laughs> That is, it's, I guess it's a new idea. I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't necessarily object to like, okay, like let's figure out a way for people to like support their cities in new ways. Cause I mean, I think that is a critical, like would be a game changer if people could like more directly be like, listen, I drive a road every day. That road mm-hmm. is in like, it's a, it's a total piece of shit road. Like there's potholes yeah. everywhere. Traffic is horrible. Like, I want to put money into that road. Like, I think mm-hmm. that would be cool. Yeah. But I, but I don't know that this sounds like an, the way to do it. Like, I'm, I, I'm guessing the difference is, you know, people speculate that they'll be able to sell the coins later and recover all, most of their money or maybe even make money. So that's probably why they're going to get more people. Yeah. Because I think a lot more people will right. be willing to, like, invest in a coin than just give the city more money than, you exactly. know, than they pay in taxes. And you support right. city at the same time. I, I'm assuming if you, you, you sell the token, I think some, maybe maybe the city will get some proceed from the sale as well if you sell it again, again, and again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
potentially, I'm not sure. You can always uh, put that into the currency, right? So mm-hmm. coin. That would make it kind of like a continuous potential revenue source rather than just like a one time they sell some coins that's it you know sure i mean i guess what i would uh, a way that i would see this as being potentially good is like if i guess businesses within the city began accepting it and like maybe even giving like sales for the use of it so it's like it's there's sort of a, a constant or a pretty persistent like turnover and who has what miami coin and like, I feel like that would make me more comfortable and, like, this could be a investment, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, so. Yeah, just imagine like, during election, um, that presidential election and how much money they, people are spending, like, donate to these uh, uh, candidates and how much they spend, like, a few hundred million dollars every year for, like, just campaigning. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine you just, like, you know, people just, like, invest in America or something and then put it in a government and the government do something with it. But I don't know. Yes, well, I mean, a lot of those contributions, <laughs> people contend, yeah. are uh, a more yeah, direct maybe, maybe source you can, of influence. Yeah, yeah. still, you know, it's not, yeah, anyway. So and it's just an interesting new way of maybe funding a government in the future, hopefully. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fair. Mm. So. No. <laughs> All right, Miami coin. No, I'm just, you know, Miami coin. They're selling coins to raise some money. Mm-hmm. It's crypto instead of, I don't know. You know, you've seen things where they actually sell like those, like physical coins that are like nice and decorative, right? To me, it yeah. sounds something similar. And then some people collect them with the hopes of selling them later. Some people just mm-hmm. want the set. I think it's basically the virtual version of that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, virtual in the future is digital, right? Everything is going to be digital anyway. So anyway, my, my Miami coin aside, have you guys heard of a Squid Game coin since we talk about Squid Game? There's a Squid Game coin? Oh, my gosh. Is it made by someone official with Squid Game or did just some random person's like, I'm going to make a coin and call it Squid Game coin? A random person. <laughs> so I can make another coin that says called the real Squid Game coin. Oh, yeah, Sorry, yeah. Sorry, that to people. <laughs> Crypto, crypt, cryptocurrency actually is very easy to make. So any anything if you have a like computer science background is very easy to do actually. You, like any, you, there's public versions and you fork yeah, you it might and not change even, the name and then call yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys never heard of it? You did not hear about it? No. The Squid Game Coin? No. Yeah. So it actually, I think it, it go from zero to like two hundred, number two thousand dollars like in a few days. Yikes. And the, and the day later, it went to zero again. <laughs> it did it. Because whoever created a coin, so on a night, like, withdraw on a night, like, so on a coins or something like that, it basically withdraw on the money. Basically, it's a, so basically, it's like, he, he walked away basically with like 10 or $2 million. So it's basically a scam. <laughs> I'm <stunned>. Yeah. <laughs> stunned. Indeed. Yeah. So, anyway, just one. Since we talk about Squid Game, last, last, I can't believe the week. Squid Game coin wasn't a valuable investment for those people. <laughs> it was. I think. I think the pitch was that he he gonna make a game like very similar to like a TV show or something, something like that. And then that's why Scott called it Squid Game coin, inspired by Squid Game. So, yeah. Mm. So yeah. Ironically, people who bought the Squid Game coin now need 
to enter into Squid Game. <laughs> <laughs> it does line up. Yeah. It does line up, right? Oh, you guys both both watch it? So you know the story now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, oh, Matt, you finished... Last week we talked about it, you did not finish it. So you oh, finished yeah. the whole finished thing? finished it, yeah. Okay. You like it? No, yeah, it was good. It was good. Huh. I think the ending was a little... I mean, the ending was decent. I think maybe not quite as good as the rest of the show. But, you know, it could uh, be hard to end stuff like that, right? Yeah. So I can sympathize, uh, but... Even LeBron James, they, I think LeBron James got a lot of hate for like saying oh i don't like and i'm not he's he wasn't sure about the ending though right all right well spoilers alert if you know you have to no, finish watching no Squid Game. Oh, wait have you not finished it no no oh, I, never mind no but... no go ahead i i, I don't think no, I no, no. Watch it, so you can you no can no no you, you gotta finish it now okay no no well, I, I don't have netflix so i'm not gonna watch it Bro, you have the internet okay <laughs> it's 2021 learn how to pirate stuff jesus <laughs> All right, all right. Yeah, no. So uh, are they going to make a sequel or no? Just like season two or just one season? Done? I'm going to say probably a sequel because it's set up for the potential based on the story and it was very successful, right? So why not? <laughs> I, they might have been wanting to do a season two anyway and they're definitely going to have like the support now if they want to, so. Oh, so yeah. is it going to be continuous? Because like, you say the ending is bad, but how can they... Like, for example, Game of, Game of Thrones, right? everybody hates the ending, but they, you cannot really continue anything well, it's after de- that. Right? very different. Okay, first of all, I said the ending was okay, but not like quite... Like, I think the show is better overall, and the ending was so-so. Like, Game of Thrones ending was terrible, right? And mm. also, there are, still, well, there are still some relevant characters around. You know, I don't want to spoil who dies. I think it's obvious that a what? lot of people will die. <laughs> But not everyone dies. Gotcha, if, gotcha. You know, so minor spoiler alerts. <laughs> so there are still relevant characters around who can continue, you know, some of the plot line. And I'm going to throw out a guess that they don't, you know, really imply through the end of the season, but there'll probably be a second Squid Game, you know, Squid Game, right? There'll probably be a second game, right? They'll Wait, do the thing where... let me guess. Did they kill an Asian guy? I can't spoil <laughs> the Asian guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got me for half a second there. <laughs> okay okay yeah all right whatever on to that on to that was there any other mini topics you wanted to cover i think uh this uh, this we can uh i was going to talk about uh another ones uh no this is good i think yeah we can go into the politics directly i think okay yeah. all right so Today we're talking about slash I'm going to talk just a little bit about why we're polarized by Ezra Klein. I actually got a physical book. All right. It's a pretty cool. interesting book. And it's, you know, so everyone knows there's been like a lot of polarization in politics lately, right? And I mean, it's something that's been talked about the last like 20 years now. Um, what I thought so I actually see. So before we go into that, I'm sorry, <laughs> backtrack. Can we talk about that? Can you explain a little bit about what happened to the infrastructure bill? I think it's related to the politics, maybe. Oh, so yeah, it might I be guess. a good example. Uh, since we're talking about polarization in politics, politics today, I think that might be very relevant. And also, I don't know anything about the infrastructure bill. So, Right. So the infrastructure bill, I don't remember all the details about what's in that bill versus what was in the other bill. So the, what just happened, relevant you know, time-wise is that the infrastructure bill just passed the House. It had passed mm-hmm. the Senate already, so it's going to go to Biden and get signed. So it's pretty much a done deal. And there's a bit of controversy because 
you know, most almost all Democrats voted for it. A handful of Republicans voted for it. But there were six Democrats who are considered some of the most progressive voted against it because they wanted that other bill, the reconciliation bill. So they're, for this long time, they've been trying to, um, I guess, coordinate that the infrastructure bill would be bipartisan. So it's lar- something enough Republicans can support and even mm-hmm. and like all the moderate Democrats are okay with that it could get passed. Yeah. But then what the progressives wanted is they wanted this reconciliation bill to they wanted to pass the reconciliation bill first and they were trying to use their votes as leverage to make sure the reconciliation bill gets passed. What's in the reconciliation bill? The reconciliation bill has, was a lot more money and has a lot more stuff at like welfare and the environment and other kind of more democratic, like less bipartisan, more democratic mm-hmm. photos things, um, which is the reason why there's been a bunch of issues getting Joe Manchin and Kristen Semina to like, they're the very conservative, but you know, Democrats and mm-hmm. trying to get them on board. Like Joe Manchin apparently doesn't want, I haven't been following in super detail, but the, the highlights are Joe Manchin doesn't really want any of the climate stuff. Cause he's, you know, owns his, he and his family owns like coal stuff. And you know, so, <laughs> so he doesn't want any of the climate things. So they, he's been trying to cut that down. Right. So there's been a lot of issues with getting the reconciliation bill, something that would actually get enough votes, right. Getting in a form that have enough votes, mm. but apparently I think some, I, apparently there's been like a pseudo agreement about a very pared down reconciliation bill. And it was, and that was enough to get, you know, some of the progressive congressmen and congresswomen to uh, say, mm. sure, we'll pass this infrastructure bill now. And we, you know, we have sort of an agreement verbal that we'll be able to pass at least something with this other bill. Who who really knows what will happen with the other bill, right? But this is mm-hmm. at least some core stuff on roads and water and electricity and internet and, you know, some other stuff. So okay. that's the summary. Uh, wow. You know, Biden's been working on this for months now. Five, you know, one down. <laughs> yeah. One down. We'll see what happens to the other. Yeah. So, so now, I guess the progressive is very kind of extreme end of the Democratic Party. I guess, right? Yeah. The you know the progressive caucus. You know, with AOC and some of her friends. Um, you were saying you know. there's only six of them, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know how many you would. Uh, I don't know if they have an official group with account, but I believe it was six Democrats who voted against it is what I believe I read. Uh, okay. so. Oh, wow. Hmm. But so that's in Congress, right? Not the Senate. Yeah. So in Congress, there's like 400 something people, not a hundred. So. Okay. Okay. Not quite as big of a chunk. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, if, if anything, you know, we're going to talk about partisanship, but if anything, this is at least a little, like a, a very small bipartisan success. Not mm-hmm. a big one, but a small one. Uh, so, you know. I feel well, like what do you mean by a bipartisan success? I mean, it's a bill that Biden wanted and some Republicans voted for it to let it get through. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. To be I fair. thought, I thought, oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say, to be fair, I, like, I don't know that we've had any bipartisan, like, in a decade. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Oh, I actually don't know that it's bipartisan. I thought maybe just because they have majority, I thought they just don't care about Republicans. Well, they have the majority in the Congress. In the Senate, it's a straight 50-50 split, mm-hmm. which is difficult. Um, but this was the thing is, I mean, this is what they tried to do. What Biden tried to do is he wanted an infrastructure bill that's like clearly wasn't like a 
like this is the democratic platform sort of stuff. It was supposed to be bipartisan mm-hmm. by intent. And then they were going to have a second bill that would have all the stuff that they know they're not going to get Republicans to sign up for, but mm-hmm. they just needed to convince basically the most conservative Democrats to sign up for it. And then they could get it through. Mm. But like the, the intent was, here's a bill that we can say is like fairly bipartisan and Republicans should be able to vote for. Because things are so partisan, most Republicans are just like, it doesn't matter if this is stuff they said they wanted. You know, they're just going to be like, Democrat bill for a Democrat president, vote down. <laughs> no, that's just yeah. the way it is. So, mm. Okay. But why is it that way? Great question. Yes. <laughs> no. No, yeah, so. why are we polarized? Why are we bipartisan? <laughs> with that excellent professional transition, you know, put down. Um, so for me, I, the way I came across this book is honestly lately. So in my lifetime, you know, I didn't really become politically aware until, you know, after both of George Bush's elections. So, you know, in 2004, I was still basically like a kid who was ignorant about politics entirely. You know, didn't know anything beyond who my parents said they wanted to vote for. Um, so I kind of, you know, I think we all kind of grew up and became aware in a world where polarization was already really strong Mm. and, you know, so, and maybe it's gotten worse, but it's kind of like, isn't that just how things always are? But the answer is no. So, and not just like a little bit different. So this kind of blew my mind. So if you go back basically before the civil rights era, the parties were super moderate in the sense, or in since they were mixed, there was much more variation within a party on political beliefs than between mm-hmm. the two parties. Um, and it was so bad that there was actually people, including like political scientists and the like, who said it's an issue how much agreement there are between the parties in the U.S. system. Because they're saying voters, they don't, it doesn't give voters a choice. Basically, they would see these two parties and they largely do the same thing. So that's like, how are they supposed to express policy preferences if there's not like a difference between two parties? Um, so this is something people actually debated in the past that, you know, there oh, was the not past. enough polarization. In the oh, past. In the, in I'm the talking past, about there's like, no, actually people, we have an opposite problem. Yeah. And I was reading this and I'm like, are you, I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe what I'm reading. Right. What do you mean by in the past? Like what, which time period? Like before the civil rights era. So like, let's say in the fifties, okay. Up into, up into the fifties and sixties from like the turn of the 20th century. Mm. Like this was like a thing where the, the parties were, there's so much large agreement. And what happens is since most of the disagreement was within parties, by the time they, within a party, they had sort of incentives to like, you know, come to a mutual agreement on Mm -hmm. stuff and then by the time both parties did that they weren't that far off and it was like okay so you know and there were some people who who did point out that like so so there's actually a debate there's some people who are like we need parties to be more like aligned with actual political preferences and like ideologies and there are other people who are like hey that's a bad idea there's an interesting quote where romney mitt romney's dad said dogmatic ideologic parties lead to deadlock and crisis and obviously Mitt Romney then ran a very divisive you know polarizing campaign in 2012 of course now compared to the last two elections it doesn't seem that bad but up to the time you know it was a very polarized you know at the time it was still a very polarized campaign so you know there's a sort of this debate in the past and basically to not go into too many details but the basic the crux the main reason apparently is the Dixiecrats are you familiar Dixie with the Dixiecrats? No. So the Democrats who had the South. So from the civil, like not long after the civil rights 
or sorry, the Civil War, yeah. up until the civil rights area, basically the, the South was like a blocked Democratic like block. Like they always vote Democratic. And essentially it was almost like a one party rule system where the Democratic Party in the South was like a machine that sort of just controlled all the local stuff. And they had sort of a mutual agreement with the National Democratic Party that, you know, was we'll go along with your national interest and you don't mess with what we're doing in the South. Um, what are they doing in the South? Oppressing black people primarily. <laughs> that was a lot of what they slavery, wanted. Slavery, you do. mean? <laughs> well, this was post-slavery, right? But they oh, wanted okay. to kind of. Oh, civil war. Yeah, pre-civil war, post-slavery. Mm. Well, pre-civil rights. <laughs> pre-civil rights. <laughs> Jim Crow era. <laughs> right. So they were trying to enforce this stuff, which was, you know, p- you know, depending on the details of how a lawyer judge might see it would, would be illegal, right? So, mm. you know, and they're I'm not trying to go into over details, but basically they kind of had this like, you know, working agreement, the National Party, and that helped, uh, you know, create this weird system where uh, they were very divided because essentially the national and broad democratic party was not that otherwise didn't have that much in common with the Southern democratic party, but it just sort of formed that way and kind of stayed for a while. The civil rights era caused a shakeup where Southern Democrats were like, this is not what we want. Nas- national Democrats were like, we want to push civil rights for everyone. Southern Democrats were like, heck no. And now you've seen the switch where the South has gone largely Republican. But anyway, so from that point, after the civil rights area, there's been like a steady progress of polarization where parties started to align with ideologies because it was it didn't used to be that Republicans were conservative and Democrats were liberal or even the vice versa. Mm-hmm. Conservatives and liberals were in each party again. So mm-hmm. now they've started to line up much harder, which creates this polarization process. And a lot of this book is talking about, I mean, there it goes in a lot of stuff. It has some really interesting details about just how i mean we've talked about tribalism before right Mm -hmm. it has some interesting details about just how tribalistic people can be Mm -hmm. they took like uh they took did a study where they brought people in and asked them some questions okay then they sorted them into groups based on those questions but it's actually entirely random Mm -hmm. and then they you know had people decide how to distribute money and like in ways to you know their group or other groups in general in these totally random groups that weren't even were actually distributed out randomly they would make choices that would give their own group members less money as long as it kept the other group from not getting you know more money than them so they would literally in completely pointless groups would hurt themselves to like not see the other group that they have no issue with you know do Mm -hmm. better so you know point is the group identity in humans is very strong so as these parties started to align with like ideology not just sort of like it's not just like a club that you go to like organize things it's like aligns with your ideology and your philosophy this group identity goes stronger what we've seen in the last few decades is this kind of compounds because it's not just now political ideology it's also you know education where you tend to live what jobs you tend to do all these different components of our identities are sort of starting to like layer and compound on each other right so you have you know the you know rural person who goes to church and works like you know uh you know a steady manual labor job or something like that it can be a very prototypical republican conservative and then you have the you know urbanite who goes to the city and went to you know a liberal college and likes to travel overseas and that's the prototypical you know democrat uh yeah, yeah. so when you mentioned earlier and i in the post-civil rights, like, 
parties starting to start to like align with a certain ideology. Now, what caused that like emergence of like alignment? Well, like, what... so there were Republicans who essentially the Republicans essentially were kind of pushing back against the civil rights movement. Right. Uh. So the, at the, at the time, Southern Democrats who didn't like the civil rights movement kind of swapped parties. And what we mm. saw is we started to have, I think a big part was presidential campaigns sort of running along those lines of these sort of new sort of ide- political presidential campaigns, emphasizing political ideologies um, mm. and, you know, contrasting the difference between them and their opponent in that way. Mm. Um, so it sort of broke this sort of basically th- the story the book tells is that it's, it's more kind of like a, co- like a coincidence and a, you know, anomaly in history that we had parties that were so not polarized in the first place. And, you know, once that sort of anomaly was broken, it's sort of inevitable that the parties would start sort of filtering and sorting in this way. Do you have an example of that? Like anomaly, like what what happened, at, and and do you example of that campaign, like presidential campaign, or what kind? Of, I guess example of that ideology, I guess in a way. I'm not I sure if that book talk about it. Yeah, uh, there. I mean, there's lots of examples. I'm not as sure. I can't think of an ex- example exactly to speak to what you're trying to mm-hmm. get at right now. But mm. um, gotcha. But yeah, gotcha. I, I, I I just want to get a feel of like at that time, like what. Exactly. What what was the sentiment at that time, right? So, so is that because one president running? Oh, we don't want civil rights, and the other say, oh, that's uh, we want civil rights. Is that? I, I mean, it wasn't that. I don't think it was you know presented that way, but I think it was mm. something like that. Mm. Okay. But um, but I mean, you don't have to go that far back. Like, like you can find Ronald Reagan talking about um, you know, being compassionate towards immigrants, and you can see Bill Clinton campaigning on you know, cutting down the budget and reforming welfare to reduce, you know, government spending and things. So you don't, like, I mean, at that, you know, in, with it up to the 90s, we were seeing the polarization starting, but it still wasn't like extreme. Mm. Um, and, you, so, and you don't have to go that far back to see these cases Compact- of like... Thir- yeah, I thought Reagan was a Republican, right? And he yeah, wanted, exactly. He, he was talking about com- being compassionate to immigrants. Exactly. What kind of Republican was that? <laughs> Republicans, you know, before the two thousands, right? <laughs> okay. But um, gotcha. yeah. I mean, so anyway. Oh, you saying that? You saying that ex- next example of like pro- progressively, the, the Republican Party was like became more. Uh, more like against immigration after right. like, after Reagan kind of thing. I so. think there used to be a more moderate view. Uh, okay. And over you know over time, it's sort of been polarized. And then so mm. so you get this. You, so the parties start polarizing, right? And in the modern day, and these and this polarization starts aligning with more and more different types of identities. Mm. So you have this sort of group identity, uh, you know, kind of stacking up into something that's very difficult to deal with, right? Because mm. it's a problem that sort of compounds itself, right? There's a bunch of compounding factors, right? Like media loves conflict and like the most extreme, like, Mm -hmm. and we can talk about social media and it's true for social media, but it was true for, you know, cable news before, right? Like conflict and extremism gets more views than like moderate, you know, compromise, right? It's just more interesting. It gets more people attracted. 
So, you know, the media starts feeding into this as kind of, you know, it feeds from the polarization that's created. It becomes better for the media to do this sort of stuff, kind of polarizing coverage. And mm-hmm. that polarizing coverage further pushes polarization of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's people not like more polarization and just, yeah. yeah be and, really. and they've done studies where it's not just like hearing a controversy, like hearing the other side doesn't necessarily give you a more balanced view. Um, you know, they studied where it's basically can trigger rebuttal where if someone's already partisan, hearing the other side can kind of make them more partisan because they mm. just get mad and they're, unless it's presented in a very like good way, right? Unless you structure it to have a really proper discussion where people are trying not to be hostile. Um, it can just make people, yeah, more hostile and be like, oh, you know, to look at what they're saying, they're terrible, you know, and people will whether come up with real or rationalized arguments against what they're hearing and then become more confident in their own partisan views. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I think I've been hearing all of this. I was actually about to ask about like, you know, how much blame the media shares for this, which is, I think the answer is a lot. Um, but I, I mean, I think we talked about tribalism, like however many episodes ago. And I mean, really, like, as we've talked about, like tribalism has always sort of been a part of the culture, but it's just more a question of like, I guess, like, when you view your identity, there's going to be different parts of yourself that have different weight, right? And I guess, like, back, you know, pre-civil rights, like, probably the political party didn't have as much, like, weight when it came, like, that's why there was sort of allowed to be mixing, because it was like, oh, you know, I like that. People were maybe more willing to be like, I like that candidate, or I like this candidate. And maybe your views on civil rights were more, like or you know or whatever uh were more i guess uh ingrained as part of your identity so when the political parties began adopting those as their own then people began to like okay this political party is part of my identity now and uh and i think the media has like particularly in the last two decades like since we've been alive the media has really drummed up like you know a political party as a like part of your identity, you know, Republicans, it's like, well, we're true Americans, you know, Democrats, like Republicans, you know, we're the progressive party, Republicans are racist, like, so if I view myself as like vehemently anti-racist, like, I want to be a Democrat, like, or so, uh, so I guess that, like, those types of things, uh, I think, just give heavier weight to like, you know, a political party being part of your identity. So it's just feeding on the tribalism that was always there. So. Yeah. I think I'll, yeah, that's a lot of it. Yeah. And I would say, you know, some things that the book mentions is that identities are much harder to change than opinions. Um, you know, to the point where there's almost no information or candidate that's going to change your minds. You know, <laughs> if, if, that means you have to like give up or abandon your identity. Like once people really like go in with like, this is my identity, like who I am, my group, whatever, like that's pretty much it. Right. Like you would need something very extreme and not something that you can get in normal conversations or from normal news to actually like change their opinions and worldview. Basically it's like too psychologically painful to be like, Oh, my whole worldview was wrong. You know, you're presenting me evidence that everything I was, I thought was true is wrong. And the, you know, and I've been like, you know, lied to or whatever, they're just going to reject that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Self-protection. It's, so, it's, you know, in the, the book, why we, 
what's it called? What's the name on a book again? Why We're Polarized. Oh, by Ezra Klein. Ezra Klein. Who's the author? Now, what, what did he do? Uh, he's like a political journalist. He's worked mm-hmm. for like, I think it was Vox and some other, you know, stuff. So very much yeah. like a political junkie sort of writer mm-hmm. type, you know, mm-hmm. probably hangs out with the 538 guy or something. <laughs> he's uh, I forget who runs that one. Nate Silver. Mm-hmm. You know, that type. Mm-hmm. So why, why did you pick it on this specific book? Why did I pick it up? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was just, I was at a bookstore looking around and uh, it seemed sort of interesting because mm-hmm. I'm like, cause we all know we're super polarized. Right. But, uh, yeah. but again, I was kind of just like, hasn't it always been like that? And it's just been like a little worse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I read, I kind of opened it up and read a little bit, just a couple pages. And he's actually a really good writer. Cause okay. I mean, I mean, so basically I, you know, looking around the books, I was looking for like an interesting educational book. I mean, I read, trash that's just for entertainment too i'm not trying to be too elitist here but this time i was like looking for something educational interesting and i picked up a few other on random stuff and it doesn't take long to read until you're like this is bullshit right i feel like a couple pages into a random book you know i'll be like this is obviously just like spewing bullshit do you have an example i'll know it's bullshit so i can't i don't remember (laughs) there was something something related to like philosophy or history i was reading and i'm like the guy's just like making shit up with like no like coherent argument or evidence he's just like saying things and i'm like oh, i don't okay. care about what you're That's saying um but like this but was very very quickly like is written well but it also like cites evidence and tells like forms a good argument along with a good story so i was like mm-hmm. okay nice okay cool but Anyway, so the last thing I guess I'll mention before I stop talking about it, just lecturing about it, um, is, you know, so we have a sort of, I guess, in the line of like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the argument, if the argument of this book is, you know, the polarization's inevitable, and if anything, it's natural, and it was kind of our lack of polarization that was the anomaly, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, I mean, we might be able to do things to help media not intentionally try to divide people right but we're Mm -hmm. still going to have a lot of polarization and the key might be trying to reform the political system to work in a polarized environment so we're the u.s is actually very rare in that it's a presidential system not a parliamentary system so like Mm -hmm. we elect a president independently who can be a different party from who runs the legislator um and you know basically a lot of people say oh this type of system is you know historically creates a deadlock and division and causes a lot of problem and it's kind of an anomaly that the u.s has had such a well-functioning democracy for so long and now it seems lately that those people might be like hey see like it's not going to work long term like is the u.s going to go down a path where like divisiveness you know sort of like undermines this entire political system because we have a lot of stuff in the u.s the government is it's not necessarily like hard rules but it's more like decorum or like the way things are done right and you know and we're starting to already see the breakdown of some of those political norms in effort to like secure your party's power because in the you know when the if the two people aren't that far then it's like oh we have some differences but we're all americans who you know love america same values whatever you know ignoring stuff in the past that that agreement was often with like you know large groups of people not considered americans but uh, now, you know, if you, if with a big separation, you're like the other side is like evil and wants to destroy the country. Anything is, if you, if that's your viewpoint, right, then anything mm. is almost as ethically justifiable to like maintain power, mm. such as just not 
Hillary, uh, right? refusing Hillary to Clinton vote on a Supreme Court justice, right? Or sorry, yeah. what are you going to say? I was saying that Hillary Clinton, right? Whenever like Republican, that's when when you talk about Hillary Clinton, that's what everybody say about her. Like the Republicans, the conservatives, they say, "Oh, she's she's evil, right? She's not going to do something terrible, right? She's not." That's why people choose Trump over her because they believe that she's going to she's evil, basically. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you get stuff like people just refusing to you know, appoint the next Supreme Court justice, hoping that in a year they'll win the election of the president mm-hmm. or parties, you know, just openly gerrymandering mm-hmm. because it's if it's not illegal, you know, and they can do it to help secure, you know, a state. Why not? Uh, yeah. yeah. So we'll see, I guess, long term, if we can sort of either get to a state where we're not as polarized or get to a state where we can sort of reform the system a little bit to make it stable or if you know continued division will cause just more and more uh government issues i mean right because now we have what is it government shutdowns or a semi-regular thing right Mm -hmm. that's not historically normal i mean is the beginning and end really just like if we had term limits like I, i feel like political party would quickly I, I I won't say totally disappear, but I mean, or like the polarization based on political party, uh, I think it would drop drastically. So here's a very interesting point. Um, the lack of party is actually part of the problem. So what's happened is we've had less people, less, when I say partisan, I mean by ideology, not by party. So we have right. more independence now than ever before. But we Mm -hmm. also have more strong partisans. So people are less in allegiance to their party or the parties, but more allegiance to their ideology, I guess. It's more, Mm. you know, extreme and different. And the parties used to function, parties used to have more influence over who is like possible, can get elected and who can do what. Um, And that actually it was referred to as sort of almost like a peer review system, like the party insiders. Yeah, there was some corruption. It's not like trying to – the past of more moderation was not a golden age, but mm-hmm. they, they filtered out extremists from grabbing power. But what we've seen is a lot of the times now people can say – even their own party, right? They say the party insiders are the corrupt, you know, they're the corrupt, the uh, – yep. what's, what's the drain term that Bernie swamp. always like – Drain the swamp and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, drain the swamp. What did Bernie always call Hillary or his supporters called like Hillary? Like uh, what's the term? Incumbent, not incumbents. Uh... Incumbents, like what they are, but there's some quote? term. I don't know. I don't know. Everyone wants the point is everyone wants to be the outsider right now, right? So oh, yeah, people yeah. are con- like extremist candidates are constantly like attacking those in power who are actually you know elected as from the outsider position, and you're saying like, oh, they didn't fix anything, even if they've only been there for one term, and it's a huge system, and that's completely unreasonable, right? But they'll be like, they haven't done anything. It's because they're corrupt and incompetent and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, again, not that parties determining who, like letting who, controlling who can be a candidate separate from people's ability to vote is necessarily a good thing. But it did have a moderating force in politics. Okay. Mm. Well, I guess my thinking about it is like, yes, it's true that I feel like more and more the being an outsider is like, a way to grab votes and get elected. But I, I guess, I mean, like we were talking about with the infrastructure bill, like this is 
a huge success getting getting six Democrats to vote against a bill put forth by a Democrat and, you know, you know, however many Republicans to vote for a bill put forth by a Democrat. I mean, so it's like forever. It was like there are 53 Republican senators and 47 or 46 Democrat and one independent. And the vote was 53, 47. And it was like, mm-hmm. okay, we know the exact breakdown. Like, uh-huh. so, uh, so, I mean, I guess I, I mean, would that, like, I don't know, like, I agree with you, like, there's going to be ideologies that are at each other's throats, or like, that's not an easy problem to solve because of the tribalism aspect we talked about. But I guess with, with respect to just like, making politics work better, even in the face of that, like, if it's just different people showing up pretty regularly, would that help? Hmm. I don't know if I mean, it could. I feel like it just depends who shows up, right? I mean, hopefully we can get to a point where, I mean, I think ideally we get to a point where people are like, yeah, um, you know, I'm this party and I don't like the other party, but this bill is like a net positive, so I'll vote for it. What I think, if we can get to to people who are like, I'm going to do things that are net positives, regardless of, you know, who wrote them originally or who's the president, like that's a reasonable place because we can at least find some things that we're going to, compromise and agree on and do things that are productive sure um there there are definitely you know people who are basically be like i'm not going to vote for anything any bill that might be good while the other party has the presidency because that makes the presidency look better and that's that does hurts my party's like next election right like there are people who vote and act like that um even sometimes maybe even say things that are basically saying that and you know they're the people who there's like you know, if they get, if they're the ones you're bringing in, that's only going to hurt. Right. Right. Well, exa- not- well, I'm just, well, no, I mean, my last thought on it is for like, I guess ideally, if you're like, you could only be in there four years and it's like your third year and a bill comes up, uh, like that is sort of like, as you say, sort of the net positive that may not be good for your party. I guess they're like, if you're running again, like, or if you don't have the opportunity to run again, you may be more willing to like defy the party versus like pay more risks yeah that's true that's true i guess you know once you remove the incentive to be elective will people act more on just good what they genuinely believe which i mean i'm not saying politicians are good people necessarily but i don't think they're inherently mostly evil and they're mostly smarter than average probably so you know once you've removed the poor incentives because of term limits maybe they'll do you know the right thing fair yeah, that that seems reasonable. Yeah, so maybe like if you can only be a senator or congressperson for like two years, right, or two terms, right? You know, and then so you do the election one time to- once you get elected, you do re-election once, and then like the president, then you kind of just free to do whatever you actually want. Sure, I guess it's just uh, you know how much can like the opportunities they have post you know government. Like, you know, there's questions there about like, you know, what incentives may be available that's, or not. So, that's yeah. what I was kind of thinking yeah. about next is like, but how many senators have like, you know, our Congress people have left and then gone into like an industry that they had voted, you know, to help. And then it's like, yeah. mm. so just because they're leaving doesn't mean yeah. all I mean, the bad incentives are gone. <laughs> right. And there's one thing about nice uh, Lee Kuan Yew and the single, Singapore president, right? What he said, what he did, right? He's, for his like ministers and stuff like that, they pay him really just, well. Yeah, paying them very well, like very 
uh, equivalent to like what the industry is paying, right? Right. So that's I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if networks for network for America because America already been is already developed. So, but yeah. Yeah. So, so did the book suggest any I guess solutions? I know you guys talk about maybe there's other stuff like bringing more people, but did the book actually like talk about solution like to polarization? Not a lot, and I haven't. 100% finished it still, though I've read like 80 to 90%. But mm. I think, and the author was straight up and basically saying like, I don't have a, like he's not, he can't present like a perfect solution, right? He's like, you know, you have these books that talk in depth about these complex problems and then they try to be like, oh, and here's how you fix it. One, two, three, you know, very easy. Yeah. You know, there is no just simple solution. And I think the thing is more about changing the system to work while polarization exists hmm. over, you know, it's, it's going to be the main thing. So hmm. changing, and this might be things like changing the filibuster or, hmm. you know, outlawing gerrymandering, you know, stuff like, you know, things that can allow basically policy to go forward and not let like a partisan, you know, minority just like disrupt the whole system and, you hmm. know, bring it but down. It's, it's hard to change. No solution, kind of hard, right? Because he's the people, the politicians. He, you want the polarized politician want to change the system? It's, you know, they are in the system already. How are they gonna? How there's no incentive for them to change it in a way, right? They are polarized already, and you want, you want. It's it's kind of impractical for these polarized people to make themselves less polarized, right? So mm-hmm. no, that's true. Well, the hope is, you know. At some point, if something's used against both parties, right, maybe they'll mm. say, oh, yeah, both, they'll be able to agree and be like, this is shit. Why don't we change it? You know, mm. the hope now that enemy, they're in power enemy, next now, time. Yeah, yeah an enemy, you know, maybe a China or something. <laughs> yeah, well, that's also a great way to, you know, get alignment, right? Have a yeah. common enemy. Uh, yeah. So so what about other country? Like, did, they, did the book talk about other country compared to U.S. polarization to other countries? I'm curious, like, are other countries polarized too or no yes i mean in some ways more like i mean if you go to i know at least some european countries have like actual socialist parties right Mm. that get you know not majorities but like seats in you know their parliament and then they on the other side they might have like you know have you know almost fascists on the other side right so if anything i think historically the u.s has been unusually narrow in the amount of like views and acceptable political party representation oh because we only have two parties right is that what you're talking about yeah but when you have a parliamentary system that allows for multiple like yeah more than two parties and then the way to get power in that system is to make like a you know what's it the starts of a c when multiple people group up uh i'm blanking on the word again wow 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 coalition (laughs) they make coalitions between different between these uh, smaller parties to try to get a majority to run, it's oh. kind of a system that, uh, you know, encourages compromise, even though, you know, the individuals might be polarized. Oh, and that's, that's what that means. Cause uh, I always hear like European or Israel, when they do election, they need to form a coalition government. I always confuse that. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert in parliamentary systems of government or anything, but I think yeah. the basic idea is, yeah. They have their different various parties and have like say four or five big players. And if three of them can agree and they get a majority and then they can elect the leader of the parliament or whatever, 
their president or whatever, prime minister, whatever they call it in their country. Um, you know, and then they sort of have the control to do what they want to some degree. So they are actually more polarized sometimes. Could right? be, could be yeah. more polarized, but if they have a system that allows things to go forward despite that, then yeah. it's not as bad. But so why did a, you, yeah, go ahead. But I think, I mean, our system, we have a very much like a checks and balances system, which has the advantages, but also seems to have a lot of cases of, you know, the ability for a, a small group to just sort of throw a grenade into the whole system, right? And just kind of like break it. Yeah. Because, you know, it's is it a check or is it like a grenade that they're chunking in to just like screw things over, right? Like, so, so you, so you say that, you know, the, European country need have these uh, multiple parties, more than two parties. They could be like more polarized than the U.S. But earlier you also say like lack, lack of parties like, in the U.S. is also you know, contributing factor to polarization. So, yes, yeah, right? so not lack of number of parties, but lack of, I guess, party control and party identity. So uh. it wasn't that we've changed the number of parties the U.S. has. We have two functioning real parties and we've had minor parties that are relevant for years, decades. Okay. Um, but it, the idea is that the parties, the people running the parties sort of have less power and people are less associated with the parties. And again, mm. there was issues with that too, but it did moderate in some sense, mm. moderate uh, Got you. some of the system. Mm. But okay, I think a big okay. part of this was, you know, people kind of look back on the golden age of nonpartisan politics, and it had a lot of issues on its own. So it's not necessarily that we even want to go back to the way it was, right? Mm -hmm. um, just we need to deal with what is likely going to be from here on out. <laughs> like, this is probably much closer to what's going to be long term than, you know, what it was like in the 50s. Gotcha. Cool. So fundamentally, I guess we are assuming polarization is bad for government but is it really bad for government that's that, like i said that's what some people argued because doesn't a clear polarized party give voters a clear choice when they're trying mm. to make a decision right on who to yeah. vote for i think the answer is a lot of that depends on how the government runs mm. okay but what about people and i you we're assuming that we are why American are very polarized right now, but we're assuming polarization is bad, right? That people are polarized, that's a bad thing, but is it really bad? Oh, for individuals? Yeah, for the country, for the um, American people, not just not a government, that people are polarized, right? In a sense, polarization is almost, it's almost inevitable if one, someone's active and involved with politics, right? Like they learn about it and care about it. Yeah. And two, I mean, there's a, there's a sort of the, Overton window, are you familiar with that term? Like the range yeah. of acceptable, it's basically the range of acceptable ideas. So mm -hmm. people talk about expanding it or shifting it left or right. So, you know, if the range of acceptable ideas is too small, then it's, even if you're involved, it doesn't matter because everyone's going to be close enough, right? If, if you allow for a wide amount of views in politics and people care, mm -hmm. they're going to end up polarized. I, like, I think it's inevitable, right? Because yeah. you're going to have people who care and are in very see the world very differently mm -hmm. so again i agree and it doesn't have to be bad and in some ways it can be good but it's dangerous i guess is the way i put it or tricky mm. okay and so yeah going back to the romney's dance quote when i the dogmatic ideologic 
parties lead to deadlock and crisis. Like, mm-hmm. did he offer any reasons why he thinks that way? Uh, and I, there weren't. Uh, it didn't have his full, you know, explanation. I think it was just mm-hmm. sort of his prediction, which I think is, you know, obvi- I would say has obviously come true, right? So this was mm-hmm. again. This was in a time when people he made this quote when people were advocating for more polarization. Because the parties were too similar, oh, okay, he's like, okay. "Hey, this, this, because this is this is not like when his son was running for president or something. This is like okay. way far long ago." So yeah, he's just offering um, a different view, kind of. Yeah, because right? there were yeah. people at that time who are like, "Hey, a highly polarized, you know, political yeah. system mm. has issues as well." Gotcha, gotcha. But personally, I feel like, like polarization actually make, as you say earlier, you make. The polity actually more interesting to any to me, right? It's like, oh, these people are doing crazy stuff. Yeah, and they say crazy thing, but it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Fun to I follow. Mean, yeah, I mean, in current, like in the the modern politics, right? Like, I feel like you're either partisan, polarized, or you don't care. Like, it's very hard to be like I'm in the middle, the true middle of the two parties mm-hmm. right now, right? Because they are very really clearly, distinctly different. So, like, unless you just don't care about most of the things that are discussed in politics, right? Like, if you don't yeah. care, then then you're like, whatever. But unless, you know, if you actually care and get involved, it seems almost irrational to not be partisan at this point, right? Yeah. Speaking of polarization, though, have you guys seen the Taiwan like, parliament when they are in session? The Taiwan, Taiwanese government when they are like, in session in the parliament? No. You guys never seen it? I feel like no. are, are they, was this the parliament where there were like fist fights? Or exactly. Yeah. Oh, I might have seen clips of that. Yeah. Yeah. So compared to that, I feel like American parliament is pretty much very, very boring. Like pretty tame. Because <laughs> we don't have actual fights. Yeah, mm-hmm. fist fights, right? And people are like yelling at each other and like fighting, you know, fist fights at each other. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think about a little bit what Matt said about like, I mean, I get like, if you're like, if you're heavily involved in politics, it's earth. You think about it a lot. I can see how, if you're regularly discussing it with people, how you basically need to choose a side because that's just sort of like, that's just the way it sort of is right now. But I, I mean, certainly like the ideas the parties represent you can pick and choose between them mm-hmm. that's so, true yeah so I, I mean i guess like i so i mean i guess you you're right that like if you're involved it's very hard not to just pick a side because that's what people expect of you and it's it takes sort of an apathy toward like like it takes it like if you're not going to choose a side and you're going to try the discussion it pretty much won't work because as soon as you identify your first like this is what i think about whatever like that immediately like pigeonholes you according to like most of the people in the discussion but i guess it's not necessarily about like i guess it's more about like you need to pick a side if you're going to be part of the discussion at this point more so than like you need to pick a side to care (laughs) And people aren't expert, like people aren't and can't be experts on everything, right? So what right. I think happens with a lot of people is they might have one or two issues they care about. They find the people who say what they agree with, say what they like about that. Mm-hmm. And then they say, oh, you're someone who makes sense. You know, you're Be smart. There. I like what you say. 
I'm going to now take your views on other issues I don't know anything about and just like take that as like the truth and sort of adopt that as my own views because right because people can't be experts on everything right it's literally impossible so you have I mean politicians and parties exist to sort of like approximate this so that's not a wrong thing to do it's just what people do and then helps contribute to you know the large polarization Right, right, right. No, no, no. I mean, that, uh, I mean, we're back to tribalism because that's sort of why humans are tribal because you have, you know, your experts in this and it's like your experts in whatever else. And basically the idea is yes, that like, you know, you know, one or two things or believe one or two things and you seek out the people in your tribe to help inform you about things you're less familiar with. So. All right. Uh, we want to, we want to wait for Shu to get back or. <laughs> yeah well i mean we can i mean i don't know where i guess uh like i guess were there any more discuto here he comes i was just gonna say kind of one last point i guess uh yeah. so beyond the whole like re- revising the government to you know work better with polar polarized parties mm-hmm. i think the other thing i took and you know maybe it's in the very last bit of the last chapter i haven't gone to but um you know, for me, what I took away from this book is that it's really the group identity uh-huh. is really one of the key points. And if I was going to have a discussion with someone who disagreed with me on stuff, I would do the way I would try to approach it based on this book is try to avoid making it something about their identity entirely, right? Try to avoid, mm-hmm. you know, associating with any sort of like, you know, things that align any identities that tend to align with the parties and instead try to like look for a common identity to discuss it as like the framework. Right. You know, so you can be like, you know, we Americans love freedom and this is why XYZ policy actually maximizes freedom. Cause there's things where both sides say, this is what like we, you know, this is more freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, or something like that. That's a very trivial example, but you know, if you can basically, if you get into the identity trap, like arguing between, about not as much the policy, but like once once you're, if you, if what you're saying, whether is intentionally presented or felt as like an attack on their identity, you're never going to get anywhere. Right. So like that's like the if you're trying to have a discussion mm-hmm. in a, in a partisan polarized environment, that's like the if you're trying to have a productive discussion, that's the number one thing to do. Of course, nowadays because of this, most part political parties focus more on turning out their base over winning the moderates in the middle and the swing voters because there's not that many of them left. But uh, so they don't worry about trying to have discussions in that sense. They actually go the opposite way to, you know, activate the group identity mm-hmm. of their yeah. party members to say like, oh, you know, you're either you're under threat or you got to support us winning or whatever. So then because that actually helps get people out to vote more. But yeah, you're either against Trump or for Trump, right? If yes. You <laughs> if you vote, so- you have to vote either against or for Trump. That is a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> so the. You say attacking other people's identity. Do you have an example of like attacking other people's identity when you're talking to someone? Like, uh, you know, it, like if you just say Republicans are racist, right? You're going to shut down mm. the discussion with any Republican right away. Mm. You know. Okay. And even and there, a lot of this, I mean, there can be like nuanced topics of like a policy that you know people might talk about voter ID stuff, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, is this a way to you know deal with you know, illegal voting, does illegal voting happen a lot? Does it disproportionately impact minorities? These are, you know, just put all that stuff aside, but it's not just super clear cut, right? Like it's a little bit complicated, 
Um, but if you come at it, you're like, we need to, you know, we can't have voter ID because that's just racist and Republicans only use it to like suppress minority voting. You're never uh, going to get yeah. a Republican or a conservative to go along with you. They're just going to be like, you know, fuck you. Like, that's not what we're doing. If you yeah. say, you know, well, there's not that much evidence for, you know, if you can try to frame it in a different way, that's not, doesn't attack their identity or their group. You might mm-hmm. be, you might be able to get them to go along with it. Right. You know, if you can say, you know, there's not really evidence that voter fraud happens that much, you know, this just adds a cost. And then you maybe frame it as like big government, you know, regulating more gathering info on you, maybe, you know, kind of put it in sort of a framework that they tend to agree with might Mm. be more productive. Gotcha. Yeah. Unlike Benjamin Franklin suggested using Socratic method, just keep asking questions, you know? Yeah. Well, I think in a way that's something the Socratic method does, right? It avoids making an attack or, you know, calling on their group identities. It lets them sort of question, uh, start questioning themselves. Yeah, it makes it kind of lets them lead the way. And I think what the Socratic method does is allow you to view arguments from within their framework, right? Mm. Um, If you just keep asking them questions, then they get to talk from how they perceive things. And then you can think and continue to ask questions from that framework. Yeah. So that in a way you're not threatening, you know, their identity, you're just going along with it and saying, well, if you, you know, Republicans, you say freedom is the most, you know, one of the most important things. Well, is this really maximizing freedom or is this not yeah all right last question are you polarized <laughs> yes probably less than i mean i'd like to say less than most but you know obviously because i in what way i'm involved in politics thus i am polarized <laughs> in what way though in what way uh, i'm very pro-capitalist pro-capitalist yeah anti-socialist anti-socialist anti you know protectionist too so this isn't just a left Mm. far left thing there's you got the protectionist on the right who are like Mm. you know got to keep the made in america jobs and Mm. you know tariffs and stuff gotcha i always want to tell them like why do you hate capitalism and the free market that's what you say you like and try to explain the benefits but you know trying to get into the benefits of something like free trade is complex so it's easier Mm -hmm. just to be like why do you hate capitalism Okay. All right. What about you, Mike? Right. Well, no, of course I'm polar. I mean, we're all tribal, right? That's the whole point of this. It's just, <laughs> I mean, I, like, I don't necessarily like, I, and maybe it's because there is part of me that's relatively at, like, I've gotten to a point, I guess, of apathy towards politics because it's just sort of like, as Matt said, it's sort of like you either need to pick a side or I guess you either need to pick a side or you need to just be apathetic. So it's like, I, I guess I choose apathy just because <laughs> like, cause there are parts of my identity that I like strongly agree with, I guess on both sides. So, uh-huh. and yeah, so it's sort of hard for me to like engage in any type, like if it's a discussion about, you know, like speech or something like that, I have strong opinions, but it's like, yeah. If, you know, someone like if a Democrat were to like want to have that discussion with me, then they would be like, oh, you're just like a racist Republican. Mm -hmm. Where if it's like, you know, things like abortion or something like that, like I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm very liberal on something like that. So it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, so it's just sort of like, okay, like, I, I, I mean, I try to think about like, uh, 
what might help with the polarization, but I don't know what will, uh, other than maybe term limits and finding some way to like not allow for negative incentives after people get out of politics. But that's, you know, obviously a difficult problem. So yeah, mm. getting senators to vote that they can't make money off their senatorship is going to be yeah difficult. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, it's funny. I would say there, I think there are a lot of people, maybe even the majority of Americans are closer to you, but they're not the the majority of voters, right? So when it comes to voters, people who are still sort of in the middle swing are becoming a rare dying breed. But then you still have a lot of people who are just apathetic and don't care about politics, you know, sometimes turned off because of the like divisive polarization. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of them, but you voted right in the last election. I actually did. Yeah. Yeah. So being like a kind of in the middle and voting, you're a very rare person, Mike. Uh, and uh, to be fair, I mean, the last election we had, what, 150 something million voters. So that's, I mean, we, I mean, yeah, we had a very high turnout in the last one, but yeah. you know why? Divisiveness. Why? Exactly. Either you're yeah. for Trump or against Trump. That's right. <laughs> so plus, I mean, Malin was made. I feel like Malin became a new, more popular. Like, I mean, before oh. I felt like mail-ins were like a very small minority of votes. And now. Sorry, you mean fraud voting was a very small minority of votes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what I meant no, is <laughs> 75 million dead people voted. And <laughs> uh, so, yeah. No, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it's, and I, and it wasn't like I was voting because I'm like, oh, this is like, I'm like, I, like I was one of the few people who maybe felt like, like there were so many people who like took the picture, you know, I voted and, you know, like everyone needs to get out there. I mean, I just, I was just like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's 10 minutes. It's not a big deal, but so mm-hmm. that's the yeah, attitude I mean, for... more people need to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for a lot of people, it's not 10 minutes, not a big deal, yeah. but well, that is a... fair. Cause they wait hours in line and yes. Yeah. But... Which, and is that, you know, polarizing topic is that intentional to try to suppress votes in certain areas or not? Blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, we were all living in, you know, Georgia. So we got the excitement of being a key swing state rather than the normal boredom of like, oh, I'm voting in one of the most like heavy, weighted one side mean? states. <laughs> so it's totally like a meaningless that I vote. But mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. I voted in Massachusetts, so my vote actually oh, didn't. Oh, you didn't? Win. Yeah. Well, you've so. been in Georgia for years. Well, but I was in Massachusetts at the time, and I, oh, I, are you registered? I'm actually not registered. Voter fraud. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm reporting this. <laughs> Give me writing this down, Michael. No, <laughs> no, but uh, well, no, because I, I, I basically I'm not registered anywhere anymore because I. Uh-oh changed my license to georgia and i haven't registered in georgia like but yeah i was in massachusetts for a while like oh that's right you weren't just there visiting for a week you were living there for a little bit yeah i was there for like a year by the time sorry i forgot about that yeah so never mind i'll I'll retract my voter fraud allegation yes (laughs) so so you are you are unregistered citizen yes yeah now yeah i didn't vote whenever like tuesday or whenever the last election was so the system is oh, uh, really not made for people who move regularly. It's quite a pain. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I should have when I got my license here again, just like registered, but I was. Yeah, I mean, a vote in Georgia is much more important than a vote in Massachusetts, right? Yes. Well, I mean, in Massachusetts, it's, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, particularly for the president, right? I mean, Massachusetts always goes Democrat for the president. Well, you could have vote for the Michelle Wu, who have a lady in Boston. No one. Well, I was never, well, I was never a resident of Boston. So. Oh, got you. Ah. But you claim to be from Boston. Yes. So I was from the Burbs. So mm. I could have voted for some, you know, whatever, you know, like selectmen or something. I don't know. All right. Cool. Anyway, that's cool. That's, uh, I think that was a good, pretty good, uh, enlightenment on the polarization of the Americans. Nice. Yeah. It's a surprisingly interesting to read book for i mean you know it's a topic that doesn't jump out as like exciting yeah. right but mm-hmm. it's 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 got a lot of good stories and like I said written well so if you liked what you hear you could you know buy it or pirate it whatever <laughs> i'm not going to tell you what to do no you should check out libby and then libby's an app the library you know you, you can check it out for free and read it on your on your app on your whatever phone or ipad but can i buy libby coin anywhere that's what i want to know not yet. Not, so yet. not yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> Support a library. Yeah. I should make a Tesla coin. Has Tesla made its own coin? Probably. Not yet. If I just made a coin called Tesla, are they going to sue me? I don't could think I... so. Because I'm pretty sure I could just call it Tesla coin and people would invest like a shit Tesla ton of money, might be right? trademarked already, so... Yeah. You just need to try to trademark whatever the parent company of like Elon Musk's companies are going like eventually when he makes a parent company like Facebook is doing. Mm-hmm. Like you just see like, cause the, the, the people who had meta trademarked, they're like, just pay. Yeah. You can have meta as a, your company name, just pay us like $20 million. Like, so you just need to figure out what the next parent company name is. Speaking of. Tesla coin. Did you guys buy any Floki Inu? Floki Inu? Yeah. Is that a coin or an? There's a coin. Do you I know don't... who's that coin? Who's that? That's coin? Elon Musk's dog. Floki. Because <laughs> uh... he was Doge, right? He's really Doge. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I know you're an advocate for crypto, but you have to admit most of these random coins for yeah. random stuff are scams, right? People yeah. just hope no. others buy in so they can make some money, and then people are left having paid for these worthless cryptocurrencies. So yeah, no, no, sweet, yeah, Squid Game that was game, but those coins these are kind of mean. It's became a mean coin now. You know, you have enough people buying. The other one is not recently getting really big. The Shiba Inu, right? Yeah. Is that Foki Inu? Is Shiba Inu? Shiba Inu's the dog in Do- from Doge. <laughs> like they just were like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, they literally call that like the Doge killer or something. Exactly. Oh my exactly. gosh. So it's did like... you guys? You guys? Did you guys not hear? Like one guy and I put like eight hundred, no, eight thousand dollars into it. Like in the very beginning, and right now it's worth like two billion dollars. Right. His coins. Yeah, so he became a billionaire by just... Hold on, hold on. Has he, <laughs> had, has he sold those coins? Because he ain't become shit until he, he sells yeah, them. Yeah, he haven't sold it, but he he yeah. has moved these like, all coins into different wallets. 
I did specially kind of divide them into different wallets. But I don't it's know the why. same coin? Did he diversify yeah. it to different types of coins? No, no, not yet. Not yet. He hasn't Then he ain't yet. got shit. I don't care about his wallet. He should yeah. be able to make a lot of money. I'm, right. I would be surprised if he came out with a billion dollars once he started trying to sell it. Right. Uh, yeah. If he, but, cause he must own a massive amount of that market. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so actually being able to liquidate that and not just crash the price gonna be tough. i'm not sure yeah he could so get anyway. a couple hundred million i bet though which is ridiculous <laughs> it's still ridiculous i mean yeah he should be able to get a lot of money off of it but that yeah. much i mean he should be constantly selling like a little bit <laughs> you know yeah. that's what he should be doing right yeah, yeah just make sure to get like like just for a week like literally like a week's work just sell like five to ten million dollars a day like you could be worth like 50 like make 50 million a week until you have that Mm. billion dollars the problem is there is there people are there five to ten million dollars of you know investors in this meme currency because if not oh there there are yeah no there are in this specific one i know in the ecosystem but you gotta remember there are now thousands of these i feel like i i have not i haven't been on cryptocurrency twitter recently but there is a lot of transactions going on in mm. meme cryptocurrency yeah stuff trading yeah so <laughs> that's why shuba inu is going out <laughs> oh my gosh you know whatever when are you gonna yeah. buy one of these you know get in early like one of these people shoe you're in the loop on this stuff well that's why i'm trying to keep in keep keep in the loop maybe one day i will <laughs> yeah one so day you'll just... see one that's like really cheap, but you're like, I think this is going to be another, you know, winner. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as you don't, this is for fun, right? It's not like, you know, it's not like, it's gambling, right? For me, it's not like just fun to pay attention to it. You know, just put some $50 into it. If I lose everything, doesn't really matter. Right. So mm-hmm. anyway, just having fun with it. And then basically you know also try to understand it a little bit it's kind of interesting like why people do it right and then what's the also that's also legit like crypto stuff that it's good to pay attention to so that's why next podcast we're going to talk about ethereum ethereum yes so i actually i'm going to send you instead of like talking about like what it is i actually i'm going to send you guys their white paper so basically there are three papers i'm going to send you to guys send, send it to you guys it's not research papers right you read a lot of research paper briefly you know mm-hmm. in phd so this is just three papers and then we just can talk about it and then see what you guys think i'm down with that so these yeah. are more like they talk about their fundamental and how they design it their ideas right so these are going back to the fundamentals see if you see the fundamental core ideas are good or bad so i think that might be good for also i think I'm. I think you guys are better than me. You know, understand these these like technical like detail stuff. So so that's why I rely on you guys to talk about it next time. <laughs> okay, Ethereum. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about Bitcoin. I gotta send you the Bitcoin white paper, uh, Ethereum white paper, and also Solana white paper. So these are three papers. These are three big blockchains right now. So okay, biggest I think. Yeah, sounds good. All right, cool. All right. Well, until next time. Next time, we'll learn how to actually make money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Shinto Club.